You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers. This is an episode of The Spoiled Yak with Anissa. Hey y'all, it's Anissa. This Spoiled Yak, I'm joined by returning friends and very smart entertainment industry professionals, Yuna and Refresh Demon. Yuna was last on the podcast to gush over my unfamiliar family with us, and Refresh joined me for a great discussion of Parasite last year. This time, we yak about writer-director Lee Isaac Chung's Minari, starring Steven Yun, Yoon Yo-jung, and Han Yeri, as well as the precocious, adorable Alan S. Kim. We all loved the film and had a great discussion about the universality of its embodiment of the Korean-American experience, how it captures vivid moments and emotions, and whether we have awards hopes for this film, even though awards don't matter. But let's be real, there's no way we aren't celebrating Minari's six Oscar nominations. And thank you, our beloved listeners and patrons, for inspiring us and helping make this podcast possible. This episode is also brought to you by Kensington's newest title from Kate Claiborne, Love at First. Kate Claiborne's quirky, smart, swoon-worthy romantic comedies have earned a lot of acclaim. I enjoyed her previous book, Love Lettering, so much that I was really excited to dive into this one, and Love at First didn't disappoint. Sixteen years ago, a teenaged Will Sterling fell in love with the voice of a stranger, sight unseen under an apartment balcony. The memory never faded, though he's put so much of his past behind him. Now, an unexpected inheritance has brought Will back. He plans to offload his new property and get back to his life. Instead, he encounters a woman, two balconies above, who's uncannily familiar. No matter how surprised Nora Clark is by her reaction to handsome, curious Will, or their whispered pre-dawn conversations, she won't let his plans ruin her quirky, close-knit community. She sets out to foil his efforts with a little light sabotage, but their feud masks an undeniable connection. The two of them stumble towards each other in a delightfully warm and moving second-chance love story. Kate Claiborne's novels do the kind of thoughtful, emotional character work that I love so much in dramas, and she has a gift for language and dialogue that makes even small, ordinary moments shine. You can find Love at First by Kate Claiborne wherever books are sold. Hi, I'm Anissa. I'm Refresh. I'm Yuna. And that was a very different intro than usual, because today I'm joined by two guests who we've had the honor of having previously for Spoiled Yaks. And today we're going to talk about Minari, which we're all, I think, very excited to talk about. I certainly am. Um, So just general thoughts on the film first. Let's just jump right in. Um, Simply put, I loved it so much. Uh, Minari was the movie I was most looking forward to ever since I caught wind of it in 2019, I think. And um, my anticipation and expectations were so high But the movie really delivered. I found it quietly uplifting, hopeful without feeling contrived or overly optimistic, and just really beautiful and heartbreaking simply. And I felt such calm at the end, like the movie had cleansed me, kind of like how the plant Minati purifies its surroundings, the soil and the water. I really feel like this movie purified my jaded soul. Refresh. I think there is something to the specificity of Lee Isaac's vision for the film that makes it incredibly compelling in a way that makes it connect with me personally as a Korean American that grew up in the 80s that I've never seen in a movie before. And those little details, whether it's 
the grandma like you know gawking as she's watching wrestling or <laughs> the way that the kids are bored and running around and trying to find something to do your parents are laboring it it connected with me with such truth that and the conflict that the parents have with each other that I couldn't help but be brought back to my youth personally and see everything again through this through a combination of my eyes and the cinematic expression that was before me and that I found to be an amazing experience. Yeah, I think you both hit it right on the head where it's it's extremely moving. Mm-hmm. I'm not Korean American, but I am Asian American. Um, you know, I'm also an immigrant, child of immigrants. I think what was really beautiful about it was how I feel like the story itself didn't matter so much. It was more about this collection of really moving moments mm-hmm. that are that felt like I don't love the word authentic because I think it gets used in some really not good ways. Yeah. But it did feel very, very real, very true, mm-hmm. as you said, refresh. Um, it was it was funny. It was really heartwarming. It was a little triggering. Um, I definitely have had interactions with my grandparents where I was like, what are you talking about? I don't understand <laughs> right now. But I really loved, I was able to get tickets for that, like, first series of online screenings that A24 did, and that included um, like a cast and director interview. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Yeun was saying in there that they really tried, like he loved that Lee Isaac Jung really tried to not filter this story through any other gaze, you know, like not mm-hmm. through a white gaze or even through like a second generation gaze of like how we see our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really powerful because he was mentioning that he had originally written a voiceover that was supposed to go at the end of the movie that yeah. kind of talked about, you know, the symbolism of the Minari and like how it, you know, and about how it's the second crop that usually thrives. The first one you kind of have to just throw away. And it's really the one that comes out second that, you know, grows and is harvested and that you can use. And he was like, it was beautiful. But I think it was a really great decision to just take that out and let the movie speak for itself. Um, and it does speak for itself. This never happens to me, but like the night I saw it, I actually had dreams about this movie. Wow. So it left a strong impression on me. What did you think about the semi-autobiographical nature? Like the director said that it's based on his own life, but mm-hmm. he didn't do it as like a, you know, like a literal kind of adaptation. The details are different, things like that. And, and about how that sort of reflects the Korean-American experience, but more broadly, you know, the Asian experience, and also just the immigrant experience. I've had a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people who are just children of immigrants who were like, yeah, this really resonated with me. Um, what did y'all think about that? So I thought the loosely autobiographical nature lended a really nice specificity, therefore universality to the movie. Novelty too, um, the South has such beautiful landscapes and You know, I'm Korean-American, and I didn't grow up in the Ozarks like Lee Isaac Chung did, but I was still able to relate to the obstacles, fear, and the uncertainty that stemmed from, you know, uprooting from the familiar and trying to start anew with nothing but meager means and a dream for a better future. And um, I discussed this movie with my friend, more like gushed about it, and um, she's black, and she was saying that one of her favorite moments was when Monica teared up at the sight of the dried anchovies and the chili flakes that her mother brought from Korea. And my friend was saying that this is something her mom would do too. Like she'd bring back lots of West African specialties, like a very specific type of rice, smoked fish, her favorite nuts that aren't available in the States. Um, And I just love that there were moments like that that resonated with, you know, non-Korean. 
I think that's a point that I wasn't able to get when I was watching the film. I was always wondering, like, the specificity is so strong with Minari that I wasn't sure if, like, a non-Korean watching it would really be able to experience it the same way that I did when I was watching it. Like, the details are so pointed and Mm -hmm. true to my own personal experience that when I'm watching it, I'm like, this is... This is like my youth on the screen, you know, and would somebody, even if you're from an immigrant family, like see that and be like able to tell like this is something that resonates with me personally. But it's really great to hear that mm-hmm. it did. Yeah, like I, I think all my friends saw this because, you know, everyone's talking about Minari. It's like that little movie that could. And it's been almost unanimous. Like everyone loved it. Everyone was moved by it. And they weren't all Korean. They were BIPOC. They were white. Um, and it's and I love that because it just proves that specific stories like this can still be accessible to the masses. And sometimes that specificity is so powerful because it's specific, and mm-hmm. you can tell even if you're not familiar enough with that culture to be able to be like, oh yeah, this is something specifically Korean. Yeah, you can feel the realness in it, and you can feel that truth that Refresh was mentioning. I was watching um, an interview that Yan Yo-jung did with um, Bong Joon-ho and he was asking her about her experience and like what she thought when she first read the script and she said like I stopped reading it a few pages in and I called the person who gave me the script and said like is this his own story because it seems like it Um, and when she found out it was his own story she immediately agreed to do it even without finishing reading the script. And I remember we had this conversation when we talked about Parasite Refresh about how there are things in it that are so Korean and that you would have to be Korean or have some understanding of Korean culture to get them. But then it works on such a universal level at the same time that like it's kind of an extra layer, you know, for insiders, but it's not inaccessible to outsiders Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. As someone who did grow up um, in the South, partially, I really enjoyed the way that they portrayed just being this family, and I mean, they were Christian, but obviously, like, their experience of Christianity was very different from the Southern, the Southern experience of Christianity, let's just call it that way, especially, like, rural Southern Christianity, and that sort of whole religious ecosystem, and I remember coming into that at, when I was 11, and just being like, whoa, this is something else that I've never experienced in my life, so I, I definitely, I related to that a lot, and just, like, you could feel the heat coming off the screen. And that just like took me back, you know, to those summers when I was, you know, and, and just like the, the landscape and the, you know, the like the long grass. And I know that how much bugs there are, like, <laughs> I just feel it in my body, you know. So I really loved that. Yeah, I loved seeing the droplets of sweat, like down everyone's faces. And it's so specific to that area. Uh, I love that just little details like that. So it's a little different. But my parents are, both came from Korean farming families. And so even though I don't know what it's like to farm in the South, like watching them work and then be little kids like on a farm, whenever I'd go back to Korea in the summers, because when I was growing up, I did that almost every summer, I would be with my parents and be stuck on this farm. And they're, you know, farming like, I think uh, one of them were farming peanuts. And then another one, we actually had rice um, and corn, whereas was that on the other side of the family. And just the experience of in this film they are actually producing korean produce right mm-hmm. and so just seeing that reminded me of the summers that i spent in korea like stuck on a farm with nothing to do i was david and and <laughs> Anne running around getting into trouble because I, I was super bored i had to stay with my grandparents and like they were really annoying to me and so i could sort of see 
David's frustration as my own. Uh, I never peed in my grandparents' um, <laughs> cup, but you Good know. To know. Good boy. <laughs> I also come from uh, a region that is very heavily agricultural, like back home. And so my grandfather on my mom's side, he grew up like, you know, with his hands in the soil. Mm-hmm. And even to, till this day, like he's in his 80s and he's it's becoming more and more difficult for him. But he's been in Canada for oh, like 50 years almost at this point. And he every summer he grows the whole backyard just becomes like a vegetable garden. Um, and he does grow like these, you know, he's brought seeds from Pakistan and he grows like, you know, bitter melons and all these vegetables that you never can find in grocery stores. And like he came, you know, at the time in the 70s where like you couldn't even find garlic in a regular grocery store. So that I definitely connected to that part as well. That metaphor of like bringing a vegetable from another part of the world mm. and like trying to make it grow in a land that does not know it or recognize it or welcome it. And then that unexpectedly thrives sometimes. I think one other thing about this is not specific to the the Korean American experience, but just capturing the agricultural experience. Lee Isaac did such a good job of directing in that in that sense. Like mm-hmm. the shots were perfectly shot. You felt like you were in it with Jacob and Paul as they were like digging for water or they were like hauling all the vegetables across and carrying those crates. Everything felt like you were there and this wasn't like some observer. I think the autobiographical nature of it helps Lee Isaac make a movie visually that really captures the experience in a way that if some outside observer, what I, I think it would be colder, for example, if it was just some regular Hollywood director that would have the little touches that really capture the essence of what it's like farming, growing up on a farm. Yeah, like the point of view is one that you don't even get in a documentary because documentaries are so like, they're just observing. Sorry, go ahead, Yuna. Oh, no, no, I was just saying I agree. Um, I also didn't feel like an outsider watching someone else's experience. And I was immersed from the get-go. So should we talk about our our favorite performances, what we thought about the performances? Yeah. go first, Yuna. Okay, well... Anissa, you and I are perennial fans of Hanyeri. We always we always gush about her. Yes. I've loved her in everything I've seen of her. Uh, most recently, the Korean drama My Unfamiliar Family. Um, she was also great in Age of Youth. And, you know, I've been following all the PR stuff for Minari, and I feel like she's not getting as much love as Steven Yeun and Yoon Jung, but I do think everyone recognizes how fantastic everyone is as an ensemble, but also as individual performers. And I just really loved Hanyeri's performance as the quiet anchor of the family. And I guess if we're talking performances, we can't not talk about Alan S. Kim. <laughs> what a cutie. So cute. Super cute. He reminded me of myself as a kid. <laughs> is that a humble brag about how cute you were? <laughs> Did you have dimples? I still have them. <laughs> Alan is a, a very impressive as a child actor, as a non-actor actor, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. he was supernatural all throughout the entire movie. It's like he knows what it's like to get hit with the mong dingy, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the whooping rod. Um, and, uh, and so that really translated so well into the film. And I don't know how much coaching Lee Isaac had to do to really help draw this performance out of him. But even 
And even Noelle,、mm-hmm. she did a really good job as the older sister. She didn't she did. have as much focus in the film, but she really felt like she was like the older sister, just a little bit more responsible,、yeah. you know, and kind of bossy. In, in that sense, I saw myself in her as well because I was the older, older brother to my family. And、mm-hmm. I think that they were really, really good as ch- child actors. I was incredibly impressed with them.、Um, and I also really liked Hanyori's performance as well. I, I would agree that she is not getting the attention that she deserves for her performance. I'd only seen her previously in one movie, Southbound, and I didn't, she didn't really have a strong role in that.、Mm. She was more of a supporting character, but I was really impressed. I think her choices were wonderfully subtle、yeah. as an actress, and it's just the little things that she does, and you can see the acting, like the truth of her experience coming in, not through like some gesture that she's doing,、mm. but just in the. Her reactions in her face, like、yes. especially in that climactic scene where she and、um, Steve are arguing at the right after they get out of the, selling the,、uh, the plants, like she doesn't need to say very much, and you can、mm-hmm. see the struggle just written on her face. You know, like I love this man, I love this family, but how, how do I make this work? How am I going to save this family? Right? And you can see that just seared in her face. She doesn't have to say anything, just in her eyes, her mouth. And that was a really impressive performance. Yeah, like you can just tell that she's been carrying this emotional burden of the whole family on her shoulders, like this whole time.、Mm-hmm. Like you just see it in the way she carries herself, which is amazing. Yeah, and you're right. She does have a great face. And I read in an interview that Yoon Yo Jung was like telling her, don't fix your face. You have a really great face. And I agree with. Um, just the subtle things she does, whether it's in her actions, her posture. And you're right, like she doesn't have to say a lot. We already know what she's thinking and what she's feeling. Yeah. I wonder if part of the reason she hasn't been getting as much coverage is because her two co stars, I mean, Steven Yun is already a huge star. Yes. So obviously he's going to get the most、uh, you know, attention. Plus,、mm-hmm. he's, he helped you know, like, produce the movie and stuff. Yeah.、Um, but. Yoon Yo Jung also speaks English, so she's been giving a lot of interviews and、mm-hmm. she's able to give interviews in English too. So I wonder if part of that is just that it's much more difficult for Hanye to give interviews.、Um, but it is such a shame because, yeah, I think she gets much better work and much better roles in dramas. Like she was amazing in My Unfamiliar Family. Yeah, she was. But I just haven't seen, like, the films of hers that I've se- have seen before this just haven't really given her, you know, like, she'll be like the female lead in an action movie that's completely centered around the hero or, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think you're right that, like, she's not getting as much press because maybe her English isn't that great,、um, which is a pity. It really is. But also, if we're going to talk about language, here's the thing Steve Young is a good actor. But as somebody who is fluent in both Korean and English, his performance sometimes when he's speaking in both in Korean and Korean accent in English, I think he struggles just enough that I can see his acting come through. And it's, it's something that I, I don't know if people who are not bilingual in Korean and English will pick up. But every time he like spoke, I could sense that he was like trying to make it sound either more Korean or more Korean accent in English. And It took just a little bit away from his performance. And I know that he's come a long way, especially since he was basically living with、um, Yoon Yo Jung and Han Yeri in like the same apartment、mm-hmm. while they were filming this. And they probably coached him a lot. And I th- I'm sure that his Korean has gotten better. It just still feels just a touch off. And that made actually his performance the weakest in the film for me. 
even less than the child actors. I don't think you're alone in that perspective because I have read some thoughts from Korean American viewers who felt the same that his, you know, accented English seemed very forced. Um, and fun little tidbit, not to throw my friend under the bus, but he was actually in charge of recording Steve and Yun's Korean lines. So that Stephen could uh, practice and prepare, um, and Yoon Yo Jung actually told him like, "Oh, so that's why Stephen's performance wasn't that great," as a joke. But no, that's a really valid. <laughs> she kills. Me. I know, like she, she has such a dry, sarcastic sense of humor, and I can't wait to be at the age that she is, where it's like you just say what you feel and mean, and who cares about what other people think. <laughs> yeah, Bong Joon-ho was asking her, "Do you like what was your experience working with Lee Isaac Chung?" And she was like, "Oh, you know, I realized that he's very serious and he takes everything seriously. So I told him at one point, like I joked with him that like my first mistake was agreeing to do this, and my second mistake was liking you." And he was like, "Yeah, oh my god!" And she's like, "He took it so seriously." After that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I have to be really, you know, sincere with this person." <laughs> she's so funny. And that was such a great interview. I think everybody who. I think the first one has subs, but there is a two-parter, and it's on Cine Cine 21, I think. And um, it's a great interview. I highly recommend that anyone who either loves the film or loves Yoon Yeo-jung or Bong Joon-ho, because he, like, geeks out through that entire interview, and it's so much fun to to watch. Yeah, we'll we'll link these interviews that we're talking about and also refresh his review and, you know, everything that we discuss here in the description. Anything else on the performances before we move on to our favorite scenes? You already mentioned one of my favorite scenes, Refresh, that that argument that the parents that Monica and Jacob have outside when they've decided to sell the vegetables to that grocery store. And she's just like, can't do this anymore. That was so that was so visceral and so good. The emotion in there was so strong that I almost felt like I was intruding on a private moment between two people that I had no right to be witnessing. (laughs) I loved any scene that had to do with Mountain Dew. (laughs) And I just loved that little joke of like describing it as literally water from the mountains that's good for you. That cracked me up so much. And then just like the build up to the sipping of the pea scene was just hilarious. And when Yoon Jung's like, so what? I had a little bit of pea, like big whoop. I Everything that. about it, even him like being told to go get the stick yeah. to, for his punishment and he like breaks it and then goes back and gets like this thin the little The weakest reed. little, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And also one of the things about that the punishment scene that I really liked was a directorial choice by Lee Isaac. And he has the camera focused right on, I think it was Yoon Yeo-jung. And Yoon Yeo-jung is like trying to argue against like, you know, punishing the boy despite the fact that he peed in her cup. Um, but he, you see uh, David run off the screen and then he shows back up in the background. It's kind of like blurry because the focus is on Yoon Yeo-jung. But you see him like walk behind her, climb up onto the counter and like grab the, the, the tool of punishment and then climb <laughs> back down. And it's like this funny gag because yeah. you're focused on like the seriousness of Yoon Yeo-jung being like, don't punish him. He's, he's a good boy. <laughs> and then you see him like just climbing up onto the counter and grabbing the tool in the background. I thought that was a really clever and funny, like extra joke that you have in the back that's happening at the same time on the screen. And I think decisions like these really show Lee Isaac's capacity as a director mm-hmm. specifically, not just a director of performers and he, he is a good director of performers, but just his capacity as a visual director. Another scene that I really loved in this film 
and it's just purely visual is the burning of the 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 storehouse mm-hmm. it's just the way that the fire was captured and the the people were framed in and around the fire really just made it feel like dreams are being lost here you know and it's it's so painful to mm-hmm. watch but at the same time there's like this weird catharsis that happens with it at the same time and visually it was quite stunning to to witness as as well as seeing Yunya Jung's reaction to the fires like lighting up and mm-hmm. the way that he captures like her face and frames it and has the fire glowing on her as and you can see the little embers even in her eyes like um being reflected and I thought that was quite a it's horrifying but it's also beautiful at the same time yeah it was so heartbreaking to see her watch that fire because for most of the movie we saw her as this like wise cracking like sassy grandmother and then she had that stroke and she couldn't speak anymore and to just see this fire engulfing everything that you know her son-in-law and daughter worked for oh it crushed me um and then i also love that scene after that fire scene where we see like little david despite his heart condition running so hard to catch up to grandma and bring her back home i love that yeah there were so many moments where you just start you're just in it you know like you're just fully feeling everything that they're feeling mm-hmm. yeah i agree so shifting focus a little bit i mean we're when, as we're recording uh the golden globes i.e the awards that matter the least out of many awards that don't matter, Correct. but anyway, have just happened. Um, and Minari won the best foreign film. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the awards conversation around Minari, which has been, you know, full of praise ever since it first um, premiered on the film festival circuit and kind of how that reflects American attitudes towards Asian American media in general. Yeah, I mean... You know, anyone that knows anything about the Golden Globes knows that it's just a PR pageant. Like you said, it matters the least of any show. And it's it's just a frou-frou show where celebrities celebrate the occasion by drinking a lot. Um, but even still, deeming Minari a very American film as a foreign one is just flagrant othering. It's exclusionary. And again, like, I don't expect much from... The HFPA to begin with, which, by the way, hasn't had any black members in nearly two decades. But it is disappointing and it is infuriating because they're perpetuating this notion that the default for American is white and or English speaking. And I mean, if you look at the key talent, it makes no sense. Like the director, Lee Isaac Chung, is American. Plan B and A24 are American companies. The auspices are American. And in my opinion, Minari is the most American film I've seen in a while. Yeah, the story of immigration and pursuing the American dream is mm-hmm. the quintessential American experience. And it's you can't make a movie like that and not think that it's American. It's mm-hmm. almost insulting. And the thing about this that is particularly galling in this particular case is that Asian Americans, whatever type of Asian American you are, we're always looked at perpetual foreigners, no matter how many Mm -hmm. generations we've been here. You know, Chinese Americans and Japanese Americans have been here for generations and generations, and still Mm -hmm. people look at them as foreigners. And this is just one more example of people in this country, or people even out of this country, right, looking at people who are not default white or I guess I, I feel like black people also at least get accepted as Americans. But but looking at us specifically, 
and saying, you're not American, you know, you're not really American. Mm -hmm. And you get that every single day, you know, from from the moment that you're a child and you're aware, you become aware of race up until I think our dying day. And Mm -hmm. I just moments like this make me wish and hope that someday we'll have a generation that doesn't feel that way. And I feel like Minari, it sucks that it gets this booby prize of a sort. Mm -hmm. But maybe as it and other movies like this, The Farewell, and even foreign films like Parasite get awards and get recognition, slowly and over time, perhaps people will just start to come to accept that this is American. Americans, whether they're whatever background that they might be will be can become proud that hey it's one of our films that that is getting all this praise Mm -hmm. and maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part thinking to myself that oh i just have to win some awards my father's gonna accept my desired (laughs) career in hollywood um (laughs) maybe that's just my wishful thinking bleeding into that but you can't help but hope it right yeah i mean there is an element of the more stories people see and and the thing about awards is no matter how sort of frivolous and kind of unimportant they are in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. they do make more people watch your movie. You know, that's one of the things mm-hmm. that, that happens. And so the more people that see, you know, stories about people like us, the more it will become a sense of it's just the humanity, right? Which mm-hmm. is why whether it's a foreign film or it's an American film, if you're immersing yourself into the experiences of people who are not like the kind of people that you would normally relate to, you're eventually going to start to find their experience valuable and find humanity in them at, at a certain point. Mm. I mean, that's the hope. We all love stories and we make stories. So we, we definitely, you know, we believe that whether that's naive or not. So I agree with both of you. I think the perpetual foreigner thing is, it is, it's upsetting. It's something we deal with every single day. Mm. Um, like you said, probably until we die, we're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like for all of us, I mean, I don't know about you two, but for me, like, quote unquote, back home is not my home. This is my home. I don't feel, I don't identify that as my home. I have a lot of love for it. I Mm. love the culture, but it's my ancestral homeland. Um, And it's particularly upsetting because right now we've seen such a huge rise in anti-Asian violence Mm -hmm. due to all of the xenophobic rhetoric that came out of the Trump administration. And it's, in comparison to that, this doesn't even matter, but it's just like another insult on top of so much injury. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a reflection and a continuing one that mm-hmm. attitudes still haven't changed, I think, is the part that that yeah. makes it hard for us, especially when it's happening to such a beautiful reflection of mm-hmm. the experience of being an American, mm-hmm. you know, the first generation building a life here. And that makes it feel just a little bit more like somebody stuck a dagger in you and then twisted it. Yeah, yeah the film and television, this industry is a microcosm of this country. And so change is super slow. (laughs) And it's probably going to continue to be slow. Although I think it is instructive that this is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which I mean, it's a very small organization, Mm -hmm. and they're basically grifters. But um, (laughs) they are I mean, there is this perception that I almost face more of a perception of this in other countries where like, when people say American, they always mean a white person. Mm hmm. I mean, even like in our own, you know, homelands, that's what people, that's what they mean when they say American. Mm-hmm. So the global sort of hegemonic American media machine has done its work everywhere. Yeah. But let's get to some, let's get something a little bit more positive <laughs> as we roll into our final thoughts. Um, anything else that you want to add that you haven't been able to say yet about this film? I guess I'll start. So 
I guess I've been effusive with this film for most of our discussion here, but I do have to admit that I don't think the writing is that strong. And I think it's particularly in how the the themes and the conclusion of the the story don't fully connect very well. And that's not to take away from how good the film is. It's it's actually impressive how good the film is, despite the fact that I think that the writing has some of this weakness and it's a little bit muddy in terms of like um, its perspective as well. Like I actually, I know that Lee Isaac said specifically he didn't want it to be done through the filter of a second generation, but you can't help that because he's a second generation Korean American. And I felt that it would have actually been a stronger piece if Lee had chosen to write and shoot the movie through the perspective of David instead of like floating around all these different perspectives, because I think that would have given it a stronger voice. But again, despite these little hiccups that I have with how the film was written, it's still quite compelling, right? And that, I think, is one of the most impressive things about the film. Despite the fact that I, I, I have little quibbles with how it's written, I still found myself after the movie with images and words and performances lingering in my mind afterwards and i think that's a great testament to both lee lee isaac's capacity as a director and a writer as well as everybody that was involved with the production making it such a powerful memorable experience that i just forget you know all these little quibbles i have with how it's written not that we need western validation but i would love to see a minari sweep at the academy awards um, after Parasite, like to follow up with the Mirani sweep, that would be amazing. And like in a challenging year like 2021, I feel like I really needed a film like Minari to cleanse my soul. And um, Minari is my Mountain Dew. <laughs> As a side note, the amount of soda drinking, I mean, I say pop, but I feel like a lot. And of they drink it like don't. for breakfast, like in the morning. They drink it so much. And I was like, wow, this took me back to the 80s for sure. <laughs> this is the most 80s thing. It's like everyone's just drinking pop all the time. Like it's no big deal. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I did find the ending to be a little abrupt, but I didn't find the writing mm. to be weak necessarily. But I definitely see your points refreshed about how, as we said earlier, it's more of like a collection of really powerful moments rather than, you know, a very strong story with a, you know, like with a conventional plot. But I didn't mind because for me, it was the feelings that it mm-hmm. left with me and the lingering emotions and the lingering feeling of just like being seen in a way. Yeah. Which is so rare, you know, in an American film. So I loved that. I just felt so good after that movie ended. I kind of love that it wasn't too melodramatic and it didn't like put me into a sobbing mess or anything. Like I love that it ended. I felt at peace, at calm, and I actually felt a little hopeful. So that was really nice. Yeah, like an unsentimental catharsis almost. Yeah, it was like it was like a baby catharsis. <laughs> good movie. Yeah, yeah, good movie. <laughs> good movie. Bottom good line, talk. good movie, good talk. Yeah. Yes. No, thank you so much to both of you for joining me for this discussion. Um, Orma and Saya also wanted to be here, but like, it's the movie's not coming out in their regions until God knows when, so we have to we have to wait, and they'll be excited to listen to this once they finally do. You're both always such a pleasure to have on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking time out of your Saturday. Anytime. You. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 
If you'd like to hear more from our awesome guests, you can find Yuna on Twitter at Chikachunga and Refresh on Twitter at Refresh underscore Demon. That's D-A-E-M-O-N. And you can find me on Twitter at Anisa Khalifa underscore. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. You can find us on Instagram at Dramas Over Flowers underscore. We're on Facebook as Dramas Over Flowers and our website where you can find all sorts of fun blog posts and things at dramasoverflowers.net. And as always, please email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com with your feedback and questions and just fun drama things. Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thank you.